each morning. We introduced 1 Timothy last week. Uh, we looked at the first couple of verses and uh, saw Paul's introduction of the book. But now we're going to uh, go to verses 3 and 4, and we're really going to start seeing Paul open up why he's writing. Here's what I'm writing to you about Timothy. We're, again, we're only going to cover two verses this morning, but there's a, quite a lot contained in this. Uh, and it, what I wrote down with, where I recorded what we're preaching on here, which, by the way, we do that, uh, the title I wrote down is There Is No Other Doctrine. There is no other doctrine. And that's what Paul's thesis is in the book of First Timothy. So if you don't mind... Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I hope we found it by now. Uh, I'll read verses 3 and 4. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get to looking at it. It just goes like this. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. That's what Paul had to say. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this day that you've given to us. It's a beautiful day, and I, for one, thank you that it's not as warm as what I've had last week. Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's a good day to be in your house. It's a good day to lift your name high. Help us to exalt you before the heathen. We ask that you'll show us exactly what you have for us in this word. Make it crystal clear to us. And show us how we can change our lives to be more in according with your word. And thus more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as I say, today we see Paul open up the meat of the letter to the to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. We saw his introduction. He said, hey, I'm Paul. I'm writing to you, Timothy. Um, and that's what we got going on. Well, now he's opening up the meat of it. And he starts right off with, as I besought thee. As I besought thee, first phrase there. That tells me something. It tells me that this isn't the first time that Paul's spoken to Timothy on this subject that he's going to be talking about. As I told you once already, Timothy... I'm telling you again. That's what he's saying. Uh, and that's neither good nor bad. Sometimes we've got to repeat things. So, I mean, uh, Paulette's right here. Paulette sometimes gets on me because I, I have a tendency to sometimes repeat things. But I want when I'm repeating something, it's because I want this to be crystal clear. And that's what Paul's doing here. I want this to be crystal clear. To I've told you once. I'm telling you again. I'm not saying you're silly. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm not saying you didn't get it. I'm telling you this because it's very important. And I want to make sure this happens. That's why I'm repeating myself. And Paul was a lot like me in that regard. Paul's reminding Timothy of a time when they were together at Ephesus. But then Paul had to go away to Macedonia, in, which is in the northwest. See, that's what it says. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia. So. Paul and Timothy were there in Ephesus. Paul says, Timothy, you're going to have to stay here. I'm going to go to Macedonia. That left Timothy on his own, or at least without Paul to guide him. Do I believe that Timothy was all alone? No, I do not. 
I believe Timothy had other believers that Paul left him with. I don't think Paul would have left Timothy high and dry. He would have had other people with him. But he doesn't have Paul there anymore. Uh, now, the word translated besought, it says, I besought thee. And that's a very broad term. It's an intriguing term. I'm not going to give you the Greek on it. If you were looking for the Greek on this one, you're not going to get it this time. It's too complicated. Uh, but it means ver to very strongly encourage uh, or to admonish. And Paul uses it a whole lot. If you want to search it out throughout the Bible, you can go ahead and do that. It's an easy one to find. He uses it in every single letter that he writes except Galatians. He uses it a, to a total of 44 times, Paul does. Paul, evidently, was a very passionate person. This is a very passionate term. I besought you. I very, very strongly encourage you. I admonish you to do whatever follows. So, what is it that Paul's encouraging Timothy to do? What is it? Well, to stay in Ephesus. I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. Why? Well, it says that, too. That thou mightst charge some that they give no other doctrine. Paul needs Timothy to stay right where he's at in Ephesus because there were false teachers creeping in. Now, Paul isn't trying to be domineering here, telling Timothy, stay there because I told you to. That's not what's going on. Rather, he's trying to encourage Timothy, as he may very well be tempted to give up on this place. Remember, we talked about it last week. Timothy was in discouraged. For one thing, Paul's left him. Here he is. He's the man at Ephesus. Uh, did you know that being a church leader can be discouraging? It's not discouraging. Why don't people just get it? How many times do I have to say this? It can be discouraging. Timothy was facing discouragement. We're going to see it more as we go through. But we definitely saw it last week when we were talking about it. And especially as false teachers were actively trying to lead people astray. It's one thing if you've got people in the church that they just don't seem to be listening to what I have to say. You've, it's another thing entirely if you've got somebody in the church trying to lead people astray. Thankfully, we don't seem to have that here. But it happens. But notice that Paul doesn't force Timothy. He encourages. By the way, that's a sign of a uh, true... Christian leader. A sign of a false leader, shall we say, is if they start barking commands, uh, telling you what you need to do, that's when you should really watch out. God's man will encourage and persuade people, not order them around. Hang on to that thought because we're coming back to it in a few minutes. So Timothy staying at Ephesus has a very specific task. Timothy, I need you to stay there in Ephesus. I have to go someplace else. Now, if you remember from our study in Acts, Paul, that's when Paul got the famous Macedonian call. I got a, an angel came to him and said, hey, you gotta, Paul can't deny this. God's clearly telling me something. I have to go to Macedonia. Somebody has to stay here. Timothy, it's going to be you. 
I need you to stay here, and here's the very specific task I need you. I need you to stop this heretical teaching that's apparently going on. Now, there's three aspects of Paul's statement here that I find very interesting. He says, charge. He says, some. And no other doctrine. Remember how I said that the title of this one here today was going to be, There is No Other Doctrine. Now, that word translated charge here is used 12 times by Paul. He uses it 12 times. Five times, five of those times are right here in 1 Timothy. Five out of 12 are right in 1 Timothy. That's pretty significant, I'd say, wouldn't you? Now, Jesus used that same word charge when he sent out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, verse 5. Let's take a look at that. Let's look at places where somebody besides Paul. We're going to look at the, some of the ones Paul looked at as we go through this book. I don't want to right now. Let's see how Jesus used this word charge. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, or into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. And he goes on to explain, I want you to do this, I don't want you to do that. And you can read the rest of it if you want to later on. But he commanded them. Same word. He also used it when he told the multitude to be seated. Also in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 15. Verse 35. This is at the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And he says, he, as he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, telling them to do something. And most telling of all, we see Jesus use this term in Luke chapter 8. And this is, this is what I want to be our focus here as we look at this word. Luke chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, this is Jesus. He's facing an unclean spirit. And it says in verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him. And he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. This is the uh, demoniac of Gadara, by the way. And Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to depart. Now, the other two letters that uh, Paul uses this word are Corinthians and the Thessalonians. I'm not going to look at them, but uh, uh, we're pretty familiar with the Corinthians. In Corinth, in the church of Corinth, there were people who were flagrantly disobeying Christian truths. And Paul commanded them, gave them various commands. In Thessalonica, there were new Christians, brand new Christians, and they were being misled. And Paul used the command term there, too. That, those kind of uses tell me that this charge, this command, is a very stern term. Make no mistake about what I'm about to say. Remember I said Paul's repeating himself? Paul's using a very strong word here. There can be no mistake in what I am about to say. This is very, very important. Not something I'm going to argue about, Paul says. Paul's telling Timothy that he needs to be very firm with these people. Command. Now, I know the question you've got in your mind. Didn't I just tell you that church leaders don't command? That they encourage, that they persuade? And yet Paul is telling Timothy... Charge these people. Command in no, no uncertain terms. There can be no argument about this. 
That contradicts what I just finished saying, doesn't it? What's the difference? How can I say this? Hmm? Charlie was thinking something, but he didn't say it. Paul's an apostle. Paul's an apostle. Paul is claiming, like we just saw uh, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul is commanded by God and Jesus Christ and has that authority to back himself up. He's telling Timothy to do something, and Timothy, taking that command from Paul, has that same unbroken authority. And you know what? If I'm following in those apostolic truths that we've looked at in uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, then I have that same authority, don't I? As long as I am absolutely certain that I am following in that chain of command from Jesus, who got it from God, who gave it to Paul, who passed it on to Timothy, who 2,000 years later I'm following in the same path. As long as I am certain that I'm following in that chain of command, then we're good to go. That's very important to understand. So, we've talked about the command. It says that some. So who are these some? Some people here. Well, I'll steal my own thunder. Let's go down to verse 6. It describes these people. We'll talk about them next time. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. I'll explain that more in a little while. Next week, probably. But uh, you look down there, and let's skip ahead to verse nine, uh, verse 19. rather. We'll talk about that in several weeks. Holding faith and a good conscience, from which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Some of them, their leaders, seem to be Hymenaeus and Alexander. They seem to be among this group. Uh, now, we don't know many of these folks by name. We know Hymenaeus and Alexander. We don't know anybody else by name. But amongst this group, we, we are told what their false teachings were about the gospel. I don't care who they were. I want to recognize what their teachings were, though, so I can see it coming. By the way, these false teachings are alive and well today, just like any false teaching is from the dawn of time. Uh, and that's what Paul's urging Timothy to straighten out. Part of their misunderstanding seems to be, as we, we will see it as we go down through 1 Timothy, seems to be a misunderstanding regarding the position of the Old Testament and its laws in relation to the gospel. How does the Old Testament and its laws correlate with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's where these people seem to be getting confused, getting mistaken, and misleading people. And by the way, that's a point where a lot of people still get hung up today. A lot of people still get hung up on this today. Uh, I've heard many people, even some here, say that they just don't understand why we need to study the Old Testament. I've heard it, you've heard it, people here have said it. Well, that's part of what Paul needs Timothy to straighten out in this Ephesian church because they had the same question. I just don't understand where the Old Testament and its laws have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These folks were teaching other doctrines 
Paul says. Remember, there were three points. We've already gone over, charged them. And we just talked about who these people were, others. Now we're talking about what is this other doctrine. These people were teaching other doctrines. And we're going to see Paul repeat this idea. Again, Paul's repeating this because it's very important. I don't want you to forget it. This is very, very important. He's repeating the idea at the end of the book. Let's flip ahead to chapter 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, teach anything else than what's in this book, 1 Timothy, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. We'll get there when we get there. Paul begins the book by pointing out what the problem is, and he ends the book by pointing out what the problem is. Paul is very concerned with teachings about the gospel which deviate from the pattern that was established by Christ and the apostles, of whom Paul is one. Now, I can't help but notice, myself, how quickly these false teachings moved in. I pointed out to you this is 62 A.D. Jesus has died less than 30 years earlier. Less than 30 years have gone by and there's already false teaching creeping in. That's pretty fast. The same thing happens today, by the way. There can be a good solid church and it doesn't take very long and now there's false teaching there. We have to be, the lesson to learn is we always, always, always have to be on our guard. Heresy moves fast, folks. Now, Paul's concern is more with what these folks were teaching than in the fact that they were teaching. I don't know if you noticed that. Paul isn't knocking the people so much as the heresy that they're spreading. And that's important, too. Paul still seems to hope that these misguided folks can be turned around. Did you know that? No matter how wrong somebody may be, no matter how far down the wrong path they might be, God, in his power, can turn them around and restore them. I don't care how wicked, how evil, or how twisted they may be. They can still come back. Remember what Jesus' last words to us were. Just before Jesus was fixing to leave this planet, his last words to us are recorded in Matthew 28. Specifically, verse uh, 20, he says... All things whatsoever he commanded. That's what we're supposed to teach. All things. That means we can't pick and choose what we want to study, right? We can't pick and choose what we want to study. We can't skip the Old Testament, and we can't skip prophecy because they were part of what Jesus commanded us to teach. He said, all things that I command you, teach. That includes the Old Testament. That's all Jesus taught, by the way. He didn't have the New Testament. All Jesus taught was the Old Testament. And by the way, Jesus taught three times more end-time prophecy than anything else. Did you know that 25% of the whole Bible is end-time prophecy? And Jesus spent three times more time on that than he did on any other subject. When Jesus says, teach all things that I have commanded you, that's the bulk of it right there. 
Old Testament and, old, uh, and end time prophecy. A lot of people try to skip over that. But that's a little bit of an aside. Let's move to verse 4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Paul now begins to explain why it's so important for Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Here's why I need you to stay there. Verse 3 spoke about false teaching. We already beat that. We're going to go back to it. But we talked about it a little bit here. Verse 4 gives us examples of what exactly that false teaching was. What exactly that false teaching was. Now the first danger, the first danger that he warns of is that these false teachers might stir up an interest in fables. Now that word is literally mythos in the Greek. It's myths. We know that as myths. We all know the Greeks were famous for myths, right? We all think of Greek mythology, right? They're famous for it. And he's afraid that these false teachers might work some of this mythos into Christianity. Catholic Church is famous for that, isn't it? There are others, too. There's a lot of them. It still happens today. This, this tendency is alive and well. Uh, this word mythos, by the way, it's used five times in the New Testament. Four of them right in the pastoral epistles. Timothy and Titus. This was a very serious problem in the early church. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Peter uses it when he refers to uh, the factual narrative of Jesus' transfiguration being compared with cunningly devised fables, mythos. Now, the transfiguration of Jesus was quite an event. Uh, I mean, it's not every day that you go up on the top of a mountain and you see a person transformed directly into light. Light like Peter couldn't even describe. Some people have tried to e even embellish that, Peter says. And we all know of folks who embellished Jesus' life with other strange but fictional stories. It happens all around us, even in the movies that they make of the life of Jesus in this, in this last 50, 60 years, we've seen embellishments made. Things that aren't there. It's human nature. It's very much alive. It was alive and well then. It's still alive and well today. Don't fall for it. Don't get your image of what Christianity is and what Bible truth is from movies. Get it from here. Don't get it from historical novels. Get it from here. Some of these historical novels can be interesting to read. I'm not saying don't read them. I'm not saying don't watch these movies. What I'm saying is don't get your doctrine from them. Get it from here. There's plenty of people writing historical novels today, making movies about the life of Jesus, the lives of the apostles, and they embellish it with fiction. Don't buy into it. Use extreme caution. And right next to that, Paul speaks of endless genealogies. And I can hear the sigh of relief. Oh, good! That means I don't have to read the book of Numbers, which is almost all genealogy. I, don't, I, can, don't, I can skip a third of the book of Genesis. Uh, I can skip all of the book of Chronicles. 
uh, I can hear the sigh of relief because I've taught through all of those. Uh, and that's not easy teaching. Let me explain for a minute. What was going on here is that some people in the early church, some people in church today, are adding more events and people into Old Testament genealogies to make people within those genealogies seem even more like heroes. Again, embellishing. And that's not right either. Some of these people in particular tried to expand Abraham's life to show that we're all Abraham's children. And as such, we're all God's children, right? I mean, there's a dangerous... We've taught it here. We've sung it to our kids down here. There's a dangerous song that's taught in Sunday school. All Sunday school kids love it. Father Abraham had many sons. We all know the song, right? I am one of them, and so are you. That's a dangerous doctrine. It's a dangerous doctrine. We need to think about these things. If we're teaching that we're all Abraham's children, and as such we're all God's children... We don't need a Savior, do we? And that's pretty much exactly the foundational doctrine of the Universalist Church, which is heresy, by the way. See, Paul wants to stomp out these heresies because they minister questions. They minister questions. This word is literally speculation. If you look at the Greek, I'm, I told you I'm not giving you a Greek lesson. Next week I might give you a Greek lesson, but this week I'm not giving. I wasn't in the mind frame to be working on a Greek lesson in the airport. Uh, so I'm not giving you a Greek lesson today. This word is literally speculation. This is one reason, it may seem like maybe I'm being overly anal or something like that when I'm up here teaching. It's one reason why I'm always quick to point out whenever I leave strict biblical truth and enter the realm of speculation. I am speculating here, I will say. It's very dangerous. We need to stick to biblical truth. When I start getting into the realm of speculation, that means don't put a whole lot of stock in it, folks. This is just Dan talking about what I might think. Stick to the Bible. Ignore any baseless inferences, any speculations. And we see it all the time. Uh, Questions that get raised. I saw one this week in an article I was reading. Did God make life on other planets? He very well may have. I don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about it. I'm not going to concern myself much with it. Paul says don't worry about it. Just stick with the truth of God's word. That's what we need to do. If you're seeing one theme today, stick with the truth of God's word, right? Paul says we're to focus on he does tell us, he, he said all kinds of things that what we shouldn't be paying attention to. He does say what we should focus on. Rather, godly edifying which is in faith. Godly edifying which is in faith. You know what that is, right? We know what edifying is. Lifting each other up, building each other up, strengthening each other in faith. That's godly. That's what we ought to be doing. The gospel will reveal the righteousness of God, and it won't reveal speculation. If we stick to that, the simple gospel, and build each other up in that, then we're doing what Jesus told us to be doing when he left this earth, 
and what Jesus commanded to Paul and Paul commanded to Timothy and I'm commanding to you right now. Stick to the gospel. Build each other up in that. That needs to be our focus. And this whole world needs it. Mind if I close in a word of prayer?